0: One woman told me about someone trying to set her hijab on
1: fire. You have women who could have lived had they had access to health. Young men are like routinely excluded from civilian death counts. They are the most vulnerable to recruitment, but when they arrive at the border, they are the most threatening category of migrant to arrive. I, as a human being, will not stand for this type of behavior. Hey, my name is Andrea T. Sevenson. And welcome back to Peace and Gender. In this podcast, I'm trying to highlight the issues around gendered inequalities by meeting the people who are actually seeking solutions, getting to know both their research and their personal story. I think just the constant fear every single time we have a cyclone warning and the fear of not knowing how devastating it will be is scary. That is Betty Barker. Betty is a PhD student at Monash, and she grew up in Fiji. She has a pretty clear area of interest and issue that she has decided to dedicate her life to try and improve. Essentially, and
0: not just because I'm from the Pacific, it's it's climate change. It's because it's not a reality just for the Pacific Islanders or people facing typhoons or hurricanes. It's a reality for all of us. Things are changing, the environment is changing, and we need to get onto it, we need all hands on deck, taking action, and that's exactly why I'm studying climate change and its risks, and and how we can fast track this process and make sure that you know we do no harm in the
1: process, and that voices are heard, nothing gets left behind. So, what started Betty's burning interest in climate change? During my first year
0: in university, there was a bunch of young leaders across the Pacific who had come into Fiji for a Pacific Climate Leadership Workshop organized by 350.org. And uh, towards the conclusion of that, there was this incredible man, Ben, from the Marshall Islands, and he stood up in front of us and said, um, with tears in his eyes, and said, "Uh, when I stand in the middle of the largest island um, and I throw a stone this side, it reaches the ocean. And when I throw a stone that side, Um, It reaches the ocean. And so he stood there in a room full of about 80 people and begged for us to send him sand to save his island home. And uh,
1: we couldn't. We just couldn't send him sand to save his island home. So that was the start of Betty's journey to advocate for climate change. This was a decade ago when she was first-year undergrad in Fiji. And what she experienced that day had a ripple effect. It definitely led
0: to a movement in the Pacific for young leaders. There's, There's been a few pockets of movements. There's Pacific Island Represent, there's Pacific Climate Warriors, there's National Climate Warriors that do a lot of climate action within their countries. So essentially what it led to was the rise of a young youth climate movement in the Pacific And that climate movement has been brilliant. It's been on the front lines of advocating for um, divestment in Australia, in Australian banks. And um, it's also been like taking into UN spaces and taking space and spoken on what's definitely impacting them, why they're on the front lines, why things need to change. So it led to the rise of a movement in the Pacific
1: that definitely connects to the larger movement globally. Betty has worked with development for over eight years for various organizations in the Asia-Pacific. She is the youngest member on the board of directors of the Association of Women in Development. She's also an advisor with FRIDA Young Feminist Fund and a member of the Women Deliver Young Leaders program. So Betty advocates strongly for climate change. And being from Fiji... Climate change is something that Betty has grown up with. It's scary
0: every single time you hear tin rattling because our roofs are made of tin. And that's scary. I think our fear would always be if it would be our tin or our home. And I think it's just
1: scary being able to visualize that sort of thing. Betty went back home to Fiji in the beginning of 2018. And what she was hearing outside her window was the massive cyclone Josie, which would be followed by the even more damaging cyclone Kenny. But this was not new to Betty and her family. As a kid, we were living in a village. And our home used to
0: be the concrete home in a village. So we would have about 25 people living with us um, during cyclones. And that would probably be the best times ever. Um, but as in a as an adult now the last the last cyclones in early 2018 saw me being petrified like I would never want that to happen to anyone again but I know that it was still a reality for so many because water seeps out of nowhere you just don't know and and you don't know what to do at that point when you're in a state of shock you're just left in a state of trauma you're just like It's going to blow up. Something's going to fall. Like, even for us, it was always my mom would just be super scared because we have a huge tree, like a huge pine tree behind our home. And she would be like, this cyclone, it's going to fall. This cyclone, it's going to fall. And if it falls, our home is entirely damaged. And that would just, it would just mean destruction, essentially. And I think just the constant fear every single time we have a cyclone
1: warning And the fear of not knowing how devastating it will be is scary. The two cyclones in early 2018 resulted in heavy rainfall, flash flooding and destructive winds. Thousands of people were displaced and lost their homes. In the aftermath of the destruction, Beth and her family did all they could to help. When mum realised
0: where the water levels had gone to and she realised it was a community that she she grew up with, We cooked meals for about 50 people at home and took it out there. All their stuff was lost and they wouldn't be able to cook meals. And then when we went there, this is pretty high ground, far away from sea level or a river, but three quarters of their homes were underwater. And then the women there were, like the men would come and take the food and it was okay because maybe something else was on their mind. But the women would be like, there's no water there's no water, we can't do it, there's no water to drink, there's no water to clean, there was just no water, so all they could do was sit and wait, and that was pretty sad. Um, And one of the best parts about being from a small island country is you sort of know friends here and there. And so I had a friend in the water authority who could very quickly mobilise water trucks into that area, and I just gave him a call, and within the next, like, 24 hours, there were water trucks going into that area. In terms of clothes and beddings and sanitary pads, I got in touch with this incredible group that I met, of, which is called the Emerging Leaders Forum. We're a bunch of AT girls who've graduated from a year-long pro- project, um, which is focusing on women women and their issues in Fiji. And we instantly got in touch and we're like, okay, we're going to get like a sanitary pad drive. If you've got things, we're just going to transfer them into these localities where... We can identify
1: um, people need them and we got them done within a matter of two days in addition to the destruction and problems that people were facing in the aftermath of the cyclones sanitary pads were running out of stock so betty and her family had to get their friends from nearby places such as suva to transport sanitary pads to them but even this was tricky because the roads had been damaged obviously when you
0: have a larger team working on it it, the impact is higher but it was just me and my family like there were just four of us doing this um and if the four of us could have like that sort of mobilization result imagine what the results would be if all of us got things done
1: So Betty experienced how women were extra vulnerable to climate change effects, such as cyclones.
0: Every single time a disaster strikes, the reports would always show that there's no safe space for women. Or there would always be a time that we'd have to run a sanit- sanitary pad drive because they were never included in the kits that go into these disaster um, centres that that are that where people are seeking refuge after a disaster. And I think that was just a clear indication of where there was a gap and what needed more attention. And we have a lot of amazing groups doing this sort of sanitary drives, and I think knowing that women are heavily impacted in terms of a lot of things, in terms of security, hygiene, um, well-being when a disaster strikes, I think I just want to be able to be a source for women's voices to be amplified. Like, what role do they play? Do their voices ever get counted? Why are their voices not being counted? Or, you know, um, something like that. And this
1: is what Betty is writing her PhD on
0: now. So my PhD is broadly going to be focused around climate displacement of people. And in this process, I hope to be able to connect with women on the ground, who've been relocated or have chosen to um, move from one place to another or have been forced to move from one place to another and just being able to understand what their role has been in the process um, and how they've, they have been impacted. And for what it's worth, it could have various forms, and I think it's important. I'd, I'd like to highlight a story from Fiji, actually, where we have a village um, in the northern island of Vanualevo. Um We've relocated a village of about 300 villages um, because they were a coastal village. And uh, now they've move, been moved to higher ground, but within the village boundaries. And it turns out that the village women think that this relocation has done them really good. Now they've got electricity, water supply, their homes are better constructed um, to handle cyclones. And that was really exciting for me to know. Um, but then there was this other community on the other on the side of this story. Is um, in January I was in Kiribati for a work visit, and I would sit in the afternoons with these village women who would run the guest house I was staying at. And they would be telling us that we want our young women to get married and get out of the island because climate change is going to kill us. We won't leave, but we want our young women to leave the island, and that just surprised me, because that was their way of coping, and that was what they were doing. So, why why did it surprise you? I think it was just surprising how they thought that their. Young women wanted to be moving away from the island What they were not okay. You know, they didn't want to leave the island, but they thought that in order to save their young women, it was okay for them to, like, um, be moved to another island. And marriage was the only way that they could see. Um,
1: and that surprised me. Betty tells me how the attitude around climate change has shifted. There has been a great rise in the moral consciousness of people
0: recognizing that, yes, It's an actual threat. There needs to be something done. We know there are a few things that's within our reach that we can change and we're on to it. But there are a few things that are not within our reach and we need everybody on board to be able to do it. We need our leaders. We need our community leaders. We need our communities to be part of this process. So we can't leave anybody behind when we're trying to change that sort of framework.
1: And I think that's been really exciting. But what is within her reach when it comes to making change?
0: I think it's very easy to um advocate for changes say in terms of getting people to like be aware that okay climate change is happening and in the case for Fiji say for instance which is a very relevant example that I noticed is that in the last in the last year there were two cyclones that hit Fiji within a week and um previously while I was growing up as a kid there'd be warnings around cyclones and Nobody would take it seriously. You would s- still see people on the streets, people going out swimming. Now, in that instant, this was probably early 2018, when the government and the, you know, the officers let out particular warnings that the cyclones coming, people were prepared. Cyclone packs were prepared people were ready people were not leaving their homes people had locked down their homes people had prepared cyclone kits people had moved to upper ground before cyclone came and that i think was a brilliant show of exactly how things have translated on ground and this definitely wasn't uh, the result of one particular organization or community it was it was like engaging with the government with private sector partners with ngos Making sure that communities were actually involved
1: in this whole process and be like, no, this is real. Let's move. Betty has seen climate change outside her window. She's heard the roof shaking over her head. She's witnessed people begging for sand to save their island homes. And she has seen whole villages underwater. We really just need to speak up now. Time's now.
0: We're literally fighting for livelihoods and security and and as the Pacific Climate Warriors like to say, we are not drowning, we are fighting. We are. We are constantly fighting for our livelihoods and our lives and our homes, and we're not giving up. And we just want the world to not give up on
1: us too. That was Betty Barca. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Peace and Gender. My name is Andriette Evanson, and this podcast was produced for Monash Gender Peace and Security and Mojo News.